And so you live in a culture, I live in a culture that has stereotypes of what Christians are. And lo and behold, you are placed right there in the middle as a Christian. And what do you do? Do you try to navigate this and say, well, I'm this, but I'm not that or that kind of thing. And it becomes very awkward. But we have a mission field as radical as Paul's mission field today. In fact, some um, issues have come across um, my life in the last few weeks from amongst you as a body, things you're wrestling with, people you're trying to witness to, those kinds of things. And, and a phrase just comes to me. It's like we're back in, we're back in the, the early pagan years of trying to see Christianity pushed into a culture that is moving in a trajectory of disbelief in anything of God and validity of Christianity. In fact, this is our challenge. I believe that video, I'm a Christian, but I am not, is depicting Christianity as the world sees it and trying to defend it or trying to, you know, maneuver around and still be nice. You know, I'm okay, you're okay. I remember reading a book about that once that said, I'm okay, you're okay. But the reality is I'm not okay and you're not okay, but that's okay. You know, that really needs to be the disposition. But what, what is happening is our Christian faith is being um, not only depicted and described as moralism, it has fallen into moralism. In fact, that would be my challenge to you today. What is Christianity? How would you like people to perceive Christianity? The one gal there said to be loving and accepting, and be a good neighbor. Is that how we describe what Christianity is? A sense of moralism and being nice? Or is Christianity what it was supposed to be? And a couple of you mentioned it. About Jesus. It was about Jesus. That's what it was all about. It wasn't about a moralism. Trust me, they had enough rules back then in those early early days when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. There was all kinds of mystic religions going on as well. There was a strong emperor that was established in Rome at the time. And it was not an easy time to be Christian. But the Christians that would gather in these different places, in particular, we're looking at the Christians that gathered in this little city called Colossae in what's modern-day Turkey. The Christians that were gathered there in the first century were not into moralism. And establishing rules and do's and don'ts and who's in, who's out, who's the hypocrite. They were all about Jesus. And so when you come to this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, you need to see that he is instructing not only his culture, but he's instructing our culture. So we get back to the plumb line of what Christianity really is. It's not moralism. It's about Jesus Christ, him fully alive and him coming again and him changing and transforming things today. And so if I had to do one of those little YouTube videos, I know it probably wouldn't go viral, but I hope that it would. What do you want people to know about Christianity? I want people to know that Christianity is about becoming alive in Jesus. There is a great need in our culture, and I will say in our churches today, for a Christ awakening. Chris, thanks for singing that song this morning. I'm sitting there going, there needs to be this awakening. 
And what Paul does when he sits down to pen this letter, he says, you need to know something. You need to know something. It's not just about the historical Jesus that walked on this earth, who was born into this world in a sinful world, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross, who was raised from the dead. It's just not about that Christ because that Christ was eternally preexistent. He was God and he will forever be the Christ that we claim to be awakened to and follow after is beyond our comprehension. But that beyond your comprehension thing should not limit you from seeing something even more incredible that He comes and dwells in you. And through Him, you can have victory over all things. The reason that there are do's and don'ts, if you will, is not to destroy us, as followers of Christ, not to ruin our fun, but to keep us in the freedom that God has for us. There's three verses. Let's go to um, this Colossians letter. There's three verses in particular that I want to uh, pull out as we sort of do a little bit of a flyover uh, introduction today. And the first You just need to know this. Over these weeks, I am beelining to this passage, even though this passage is in Colossians 3. It says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I underline that aspect there. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Now, we're going to unpackage that, but to be able to unpackage that, we've got to spend time in the first couple chapters. All right? God is all-powerful. God He can move a mountain with a whisper. He can create the universe with a word. He can silence hell with one blow. God is all-powerful. But yet we sit around and many times we struggle with this moralism or with this religion and we don't get it that this God come in the flesh through Jesus Christ, we are now hidden with Christ in this God. And this is our life. Some of you have had challenging weeks. Some of you walk in here almost in depression this morning. Some of you don't know what the next months go to hold because of changes going on in relationships, job front, or whatever. Some of you are being directly opposed by people you thought maybe you were friends or family members. And you're saying, where am I going to get my strength from? How am I going to suck it up? I'm going to buckle up. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do right. I'm not going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to try to be loving and nice and a good neighbor. And you're relying upon your own power and your own strength. But the reality is this. One of the incredible things that we have as a Christ follower, and if you're not a Christ follower this morning, it's sort of a good way to check it out of what it really would be to be a Christ follower outside looking in. It's not just that we've been sort of um, forgiven or released from this debt of sin that we owe. When we choose 
to follow Christ and receive from him salvation. We get him. He does not only come and live life with us and help us with our life. He, Jesus, is our life. And if Jesus is our life, then you can have strength to overcome whatever obstacles before you. doesn't mean that life's all going to purdy. doesn't mean that your stocks are all going to go up and to the right. doesn't mean that you're going to get that great job. Because those things aren't of ultimate value in the eternal realm. What's of ultimate value is who you are in Christ, what you're becoming in Christ, and how you're serving his purposes. And we need to get Christianity back centered on the person of Christ, awakened to Christ, and move forward in his power. That power is in you. And you are in Christ. A second passage from this letter is that of Colossians 2, 6 and 7. You may recall this couple verses because I've used it in the last few weeks. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live with him. Continue to live in him, rooted and built up with him, in him. Strengthen in the faith that you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And the reason we use this is what? Because of the, that's where the rooted kind of idea comes from for our Wednesday night thing that we're going to be starting. You see this in him and Christ in you at various places throughout Colossians. And that's what we need to dial into. In fact, this is a summary verse to me for Colossians. It's in Colossians 1.27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, the Apostle Paul was taking this good news message, the gospel, to Gentiles. That's why he was, you know, in the whole Mediterranean Sea area perimeter trying to communicate things. The mystery is that it's not just for the Jews, it's for all people. And this is the mystery that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so this study in the series of Colossians, to me, can just simply be titled Christ in You. But it's critical that we understand Christ, who he is, all of his fullness, and we understand what it means that Christ is in you and that you are hidden in Christ. So those are some of the verses we're going to be tapping into as we move through this. But I'd like to take us back to the front part of Colossians. It's amazing to me that we have these historical letters that are also authoritative. In Colossians, it's, it's, it's as if somebody sent you some letters. You ever store away old letters? Like I came across in our move, I came across a bunch of old letters I'd stored. Some of them, you know, letters you receive from past girlfriends and other things. And for sure the wife says those are going, you know. <laughs> I don't know why they were there. I guess it's there, right? Think about this idea of getting a letter from the guy who's at the forefront of what's happening. And the Apostle Paul sits down and pins this to a church in Colossae. The church in Colossae, if you don't know where maybe it might have been, it's depicted here on this map. Um, um, Colossae is, 
in Turkey area. It's next to what was Ephesus. All right. You see Rome in the upper left-hand corner. Guess what? Paul was writing this letter from a prison in Rome. It's a pretty positive letter. In fact, there are four letters that are said written by Paul in prison at Rome at that time. Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Um, uh, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesus. Ephesians. All right? And those letters are really positive for a guy that's in prison. Because he's alive in Christ and he knows what's really the ultimate reality. He starts out this to these people in Colossae. It says this in Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father. This was the typical way of addressing a letter. We always sign our letters sincerely or yours truly, blessings, whatever it may be, and then you put your name at the bottom. But they put theirs at the top. So here's Paul identifying himself. And you need to know this. Paul had never been to Colossae before. All right? He had never visited them. We're going to find out here in a second why and, and how that uh, figures into things. But he is writing to a people that he's uh, never been with before. So he's introducing himself. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's totally by the will of God. All right. And Timothy's with me. Timothy was like his sidekick. Timothy was always with him in different places and mentioned in different ones of the letters that are recorded in the scriptures. And then he says to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. And we're going to see how he sort of had this nice admiration for what he'd been hearing about these Christians in this place. Colossae wasn't a big city by any means. It was about six, ten miles away from two other cities, Laodicea and Hyperopolis. And those were sort of more well-known in trade and traffic. But this was more of a small town. Any of you from small town kind of thing? So he's writing a letter to the small town and hears about this group of Christians. And he says, brothers, in Christ, because they have the same identity that he had. And he was wanting them to understand this identity more. Grace and peace to you is a common kind of saying. Grace and peace to you is what he desired for them to have. In the midst of our world, I think if Paul stood here today, he'd look you in the eye and he said, I desire for you to have grace. I desire for you to have peace and grace and peace in Christ because that's what we have as privileged followers of him. Not a religion, not do's and don'ts, not a moralism. We have his life and in him we can have grace and peace and strength. All right, so that's how he leads off his letter. Then he moves on and he articulates this in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in the heaven that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. You ever wonder what Paul would say to our church? We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you there at the awakening because we have heard blank. What have they heard? What are we known for? We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. The faith and the love that what? Spring from the hope that's stored up for you 
in heaven through Christ that you have already heard about that's contained in the gospel, the good news that is ripping across the Mediterranean area and changing and transforming a pagan culture. Here's this group, small town. He writes them a letter, hasn't been to them before, has heard about them, and he says, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed not because of your works and all that you're doing. I'm impressed because of who you are in Christ. And I want you to walk more into that maturity that God has given you. And what we'll find out in these weeks is that it's not life with Jesus, but it's life in Jesus. We're going to find that God is not calling us to try harder, but to trust in him more and who he is in us. We're going to see that it's not about our um, self-imposed personal agendas and moral rules, but it's about God's infused power and strength in us. And he's wanting these young believers in this young church to not get off course and to fall into what the culture around them is pressing them to. He goes on and he says this in verse 6. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, not just with the church there in Colossae. Just it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all of its truth. Now, verse 7 is enlightening here. It helps us give a little bit more background to this letter. You learned it from Epaphras. I knew I'd mess up that word. I had it down early. Epaphras. You learned it from Epaphras our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So this individual had gone to Paul after Paul maybe had sent him back to this town. And there was this communication going back and forth between Paul and Epaphras about what was happening in that local congregation, in that local city. And he's saying, I am very excited to hear about what is going on in all of your lives. Those who are living according to the Spirit. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you ever read the Bible and sometimes you want to say, stop, slow down. That's a lot of stuff there and those are big words. I don't quite know what you're saying. I do. And I've been studying scripture for a lot of years. And a lot of times when you read scripture, you just sort of blow through things. And yes, this is an introduction. And he's sort of articulating his love and his appreciation for you. And then he starts to articulate this prayer. This is my prayer for you. But you got to slow down and chop it all up and go, wow, there are some great nuggets there. There's some powerful truth there back in my life. He prayed from prison for that group 
in that small town that they would develop into spiritually mature people and be powerful servants of the kingdom spreading throughout that known world. If Paul was to tell us his prayer, I don't know if he prays from heaven or not these days, but if Paul was to tell us his prayer for us as a local body here defined as the awakening church, as with every other Christ-centered church that's in this valley and even in Southern California, he would say, I want you as Christ followers to grow up. I want you to grow up. I don't want you banged around by all these kinds of frivolous things that that are pressed against you and stumble and fall. I want you to become spiritually mature people. And that is to a large extent why we have the epistles. The letters of Paul were written so that Christians would grow up, be strong, be awakened in Christ and live powerfully in this world. Not in their own strength, but in the strength of the spirit through their life. So when we gather, we have to take seriously exhortation from Scripture to get at it, to get at it and to grow in Christ, to not be blown back and forth by every wind, as the Apostle James said. And so this is an exciting letter for us to step into, for you to step into and study as we walk through these weeks this fall, because it is his pleasure and it is his passion, God's I'm talking about, for you to be changed from where you're at now in your faith to become stronger and stronger and stronger in Christ because he's got plans and purposes for you that you do not know. You do not know. I take this letter uh, to heart. Because I grow weary in life too. And I see my sin in life more reticent today than when I was a young believer because I see more of the beauty of who Christ is. And I am with you. Life, the Christian walk, is a challenge. But I need to listen to the Apostle Paul. He was one that was challenged, trust me. How are you in prison and you're so still passionate and excited for Christ? I mean, I would be bummed. I would be petitioning somebody for a retrial or something. No, he knew in whom he believed. And he knew not only had his life been shaken and transformed on that road to Damascus when he was out in a murderous spirit against Christians, he was being changed and transformed by Christ even in a prison cell because it's even through suffering that we become like Christ. And he wanted everyone to become stronger. And he writes this letter so that we may have this fresh discovery. And so I come back to this letter. I come back to the, the Colossians 3 passage. I mean, that, those first couple, three verses there, I mean, there is life in those that I feed on every week of my life. Since then I've been raised with Christ. Set my heart on things above, not on earthly things, for I have died in the life I now live. I live in Christ. Christ who is my life. When he, when he appears, I'm going to appear with him. I, there is depth and truth in Scripture that if you don't cling to it, if you don't learn from it, if you don't embrace it, if you don't experience it, you will be banged up and you will be doing that two-step. I'm a Christian, but I'm not like this. I'm a, where, where are you at? You are who you are in Christ. And Paul says, my prayer for you 
is that you grow spiritually mature. So let's get at it. Let's get at it. A few months ago, I remember sitting with Joe Cox for lunch, and we were talking about how do we see Christians grow at our church. And um, I know this church through the years has been challenged on different fronts to grow spiritually. At one time, there was a, a class even called Pathways, and we went back and we looked at that Pathway class and sort of reminds me of uh, this passage that's um, in Scripture um, that David said. Actually, there's two passages here, one from Mark and one from Acts, uh, referencing David. King David said this, You have made known to God the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Mark 3.13, Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and he called to him, those he wanted, and they came to him. Jesus comes. He calls you to himself. He sets you on a path, a path of life to fill you with joy in his presence and a path for you to be awakened fully alive in Christ. And so there's a path that's set before us. This Wednesday, we start this 10-week journey called Rooted. And if you show up Wednesday, this will be your journey book. Everybody will have one of these. It's called Rooted, and in the Swahili name, it's called Mazizi. This book was framed up by a pastor in Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, it was tweaked and some other variations by another church here in SoCal. And um, this book is about how to connect with God, his church community, and his purposes for your life. But when I opened this book, and I referenced this with Joe when we met, um, the pastor has this forward introduction here talking about a pathway, how you go from one thing to the next to the next. And this is how he laid it out. He says, when Jesus Christ calls you to himself, there uh, is this call to you in your life, and you're in complacency. You're a complacent person. And so on this diagram, we put the word complacent. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and that's sort of what he does to people. You see it happening all over the place. But Jesus calls you out of this complacency, and he calls you to enter into the gospel and find salvation in him. And so he calls you from being complacent to being a consumer. And a consumer sometimes is a bad word, and it can be a bad word with Christians, but a consumer means you need to consume salvation. You need to consume who Christ is. You need to consume the gospel, the good news that you're not only your sins can be forgiven, but that there can be a life with Jesus. And so you come into the Christian faith as a consumer. But what happens is a lot of Christians stop right there being a consumer. And there's a lot of consumer Christianity today. What's the next best thing for me? What are you providing? What are you doing? What's the next program? How can I get rich? Hello? Hello? Did you get called by the same Jesus that I got called by? No. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. But that full life is not a consumerism. Jesus Christ calls you actually to give your life away. And he says, when you give your life away, then you'll find it. And so this pastor articulates this pathway of going from complacent to consumer, but then from consumer to connected. 
And connected is a good thing. You get connected not only to Christ, but you get connected to the body of Christ. You get in relationships, and that's all really beautiful because relationships with other people who are Christ followers or even people who are seeking to try to discover God is a grand thing. You know, you get connected. And we want you to be connected. That's why we call it a connection card. You know, how do we connect with you and build friendships into your life? All right? But you move from complacent to consumer and then connected, but a lot of times it just starts to get hung up right there. And the next word is you need to move from connected to committed. Committed. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. You've, you've got to keep going down this path. Don't just stay parked. Don't just check out for a while. My guys, where'd they go? What's going on in their life? I'm not talking about church attendance necessarily. I'm just talking about engagement with things spiritually. The concerns of life press in. Where? Oh, yeah, I guess I am a Christ follower. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Complacent to consumer, to connected, to committed, to really understanding his purposes and how he's called you, how he's wired you, how he's gifted you. And you begin to serve him. You begin to press out and using those gifts, not only in the local body of Christ, but you begin to use them in your workplace to encourage people. Yes, you are accepting of genuine people because they're made in the image of God, just like you are. And yes, you accept them as fallen sinners, just as God accepted you as a fallen sinner. And yes, you love on them. And you're a good neighbor to them. But that's the initiative you take from being a committed follower of Christ. You want to see them changed and transformed too. So you really start to get committed. And then the last word is you move from committed to compelled. You become compelled. It says this in 2 Corinthians, Paul does, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. I should have underlined that one on there. That they should no longer live for themselves, but for others? Well, yeah, but not first, but for him who died for you and for them and was raised again from the dead. From complacent to consumer, from consumer to connected, from connected to committed, from committed to compelled. Where are you at on that pathway of spiritual growth and development in your own life? Now, it doesn't matter where you're at. You can even be back and complacent. That's fine. Just own where you're at. Own where you're at and seek God to move you across that path because his desire for you is to be compelled by the love of Christ because of what he's done in and through you and will continue to do until the day he returns or you die and go to be with him. He has got plans and purposes for you in your life to be connected with God through a vital relationship with Jesus Christ, to be connected and a part of the community of Christ, powered up, Stepping up to serve his purposes in the world through the purpose that he's called you to. That's the pathway. So how are we doing, folks? I have to look at that and say, how am I doing? Maybe I vacillate back and forth. When we relook at what we're trying to do as a church, you just need to know that we just don't do things just for the fun of doing things. Our name is the Awakening Church. Our mission is to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And we're back at it again this fall. One of the things we encourage you to do is to live a life amongst others of love and encouragement in relationship, investing in their life, building bridges of trust. Maybe you're here this morning because somebody invited you that you build a bridge of trust with that actually attends this church. Great. We're glad you're here. God calls us 
to invest our lives with people, and then to invite them, to invite. And to move from complacent to being a consumer, to hear the gospel, and maybe it's not just invite them to church, but to invite them to Jesus. Invite them into your life. And so we have the encouragement to invite in every week this fall. Invest and invite, invest and invite. Hopefully it's the catalytic time for people to be able to consume some of Jesus and decide to be a follower of him. But then we go from the consumer to the connected and we call us to engage in worship. We invite to worship, to be able to exalt God, worship here on a Sunday gathering, but worship also throughout your whole life and worship with others. Yes, you can worship by yourself, but there's something about the community of Christ. And then, from connected to committed, we're putting this significant step for us as a church this fall. Setting aside what we normally have been doing in small groups, and we are establishing Rooted as a means to come into a deeper, growing, more mature relationship with God and His purposes. Become Rooted and build up in Him. You know, it's in your seat backs again today, and I know we've been sort of pressing it there, but as I was going through the list of names, um, a good group of 30 people that I'm thinking to myself, Lord, who else do you want to be a part of the Wednesday night group rooted experience? Because they, they really, really need it. Not just to do better, but they need it because you are getting all kinds of pressure from all kinds of directions in life to not keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Would you consider becoming a part of Rooted in your seat backs? Is this invite? You can fill it out or just, you know, late in this queue, just show up Wednesday night. I'm going tomorrow to get some of the books and I'm going to get enough of them that I have no, people just show up. Bring a friend. It's for people that just don't, it's not for people just come to the church. Bring a friend and join in. And what's articulated in that brochure, a journey of 10 weeks to become rooted and build up in Christ. Because what I'm finding that a lot of people, they'll invite, invest, they'll invite, people come to worship, and then we say, hey, you need to get into a missional community, you need to get into a missional community life group, do life together, go out, be compelled. And I'm like, that's a big step from showing up here to being on mission with God. And so rooted is going to help us put a DNA in our missional community life groups that helps us be compelled then. And then ultimately, we want this church to be mobilized through community groups that are on mission and encouraging one another. And we'll pick those back up at the end of Rooted. So that's our pathway to become fully alive in Christ to his mission. The Apostle Paul comes to us and says, the awakening church needs to have a Christ awakening all over again this fall, beginning with its pastor. I'm personally looking forward to the journaling exercises, the study, the interaction in group. There's three separate experiences, a prayer experience, a, um, a service opportunity, and a sharing your story opportunity. We're going to close with a banquet, and, and then we're going to have a baptism service after that on the Sunday following. This is going to be a great journey. And I'm excited to show up Wednesday at 6.30. How about you? Sign up on the card. Go online. The opportunity is yours.
I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and I just want to pray. Lord, we pray that um, you would take our lives this fall, and you would allow us to become Christ-centered again. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in ways that we have never comprehended before. And that you would reveal to us the power and the strength that we have with a life hidden in you. And Lord, I pray with everybody here that you would help us as a church to continue to mature spiritually at whatever place we're at. Not that we're a spiritually immature church necessarily, Lord, but you always have more and more and more for us to grow into. And that's our desire. So may we become rooted. If there's anybody that's wrestling with the opportunity to be a part of Rooted or they're struggling with maybe even their schedules to make it work out, to be a part of the 10-week run, I pray that you would help them see that through this week and that they'd be able to be here Wednesday night. And Lord, we pray for our Wednesday night this week that you would work in the midst of our interactions, in the midst of our study, that you would work by the power of your Spirit. Lord, our prayer is the prayer of Paul that we would grow in maturity and spiritual wisdom and knowledge and become rooted in him.